1: This is a podcast from the South China Morning Post. Hey there, welcome back to Inside China Tech. This week's episode is based on a live interview about 5G with Zhou Guan, GSMA's head of policy for Greater China. We discuss why, for the first time ever, 5G has to tap on extremely high radio frequencies known as millimeter wave, and why space agencies think this might mess with your weather forecast. A heads up before we start, we're going to be taking a hiatus and we'll be back in late November with a new episode on the biggest shopping spree on earth, China's single stay. So here's the show. From South China Morning Post, this is Inside China Tech, insights into what matters. Come
0: work for us because we are 996.
1: Are you okay? <laughs> I started Alibaba in 1999 in my apartment.
0: What's your problem? Speed and data. And that's where China comes in.
1: Here's your host, Zen Su. Okay, but firstly, before we start, Joe, can I get you to introduce yourself, like a one-liner, like your name, your title, and what GSMA does? Yeah, yeah. So my name is Joe Guan.
0: Um, I work for the GSMA in the Hong Kong office. We cover... Uh, the Greater China region, and for myself, I look after all of the public policy and the government affairs. GSMA uh, group from Europe, uh, now has become a global, and I think the biggest uh, association representing the industry, the interest of the mobile ecosystem. We have members from the operators, from the vendors, and also now with technology and internet companies as well. Uh, We are a global trade association. Uh, We have members across the mobile ecosystem, including the mobile operators, the equipment manufacturers. And also in the last few years, we've been getting a lot of new members from the internet and technology sector. Companies like Facebook, Xiaomi, and Google are also uh, our our members now. So we are growing and we are trying to represent the overall interest of the mobile entire ecosystem as a whole.
1: Great. So, you know, a very, very big hot topic now, I think, that everyone is discussing is 5G. So if you could tell us, Joe, what is 5G and why is it so revolutionary?
0: Well, um, as you know, uh, mobile in the past, I would say, 10, 15 years has become really the um, one of the key technology that's changing our lives and also changing the way that we do business. So um, in particular with 3G and 4G in the past, we've seen um, the way we interact with people, the way we interact with businesses and the government um, changing quite significantly. And um, 5G people say is it just another G on top of 4G. Um, the way we see it is that 5G is actually quite unique in a way that 5G is something that will consolidate all of the connectivity that we have and make them even better. So in one way that 5G will uh, improve the way our ordinary consumers use their mobile phones, so uh, all the all, all of the systems and uh, uh, applications that they currently enjoy, be it Netflix or YouTube or WeChat or WhatsApp, the functions will be even better on 5G, so we might have new functions like VR or uh, 8K streaming on Netflix. Uh, But also, I think what's more important uh, for us as an industry, which is one of the big differentiators compared to 3G and 4G, is that 5G is also more versatile and more dynamic, meaning that uh, we have a really good opportunity now using 5G to serve the enterprise sector, to serve the vertical sector uh, in ways that are uh, more possible than we had in the past, Um, So we're expanding out. So 5G is not just a technology for telecoms, Um, we see 5G as a fundamental enabler, a fundamental technology that will help uh, all of these sectors uh, in society to grow and to transform.
1: I see. So um, basically 5G sounds like it's uh, faster speeds, like you mentioned, for consumers and it expands a lot of business cases. Is that right?
0: Yes, it's faster. It will respond a lot of quicker. Uh, that's the low latency part that people are talking about. But also, uh, it means that the 5G network will be able to connect more devices than we're used to. So if you look at the 5G specification, it's talk about massive IoT, ma- ma- massive Internet of Things. And we're talking about, I think, a million devices per square kilometer, which is way more than... What we are able to do now with 4G or three g
1: great, so one of the big points in this discussion about 5g is around spectrum, but before we get into that discussion, can you tell us you know in layman terms what exactly is spectrum?
0: Yeah, spectrum is something that a bit is a bit abstract. Um, if we look at uh, mobile technology uh, people all, people often uh, refer to it as wireless wireless. Is is because we actually transmit the information via the radio waves instead of via a free physical cable, be it uh, fibre or copper. Um, so, so spectrum is particularly critical for us because uh, the entire industry, a uh, mobile, is actually built upon the ability to to make use of um, radio frequencies. It's a natural free um, physical phenomenon. It's uh, fine. Finite. Uh, we cannot make more of that. It's governed by the rule of physics as as we know it. Uh, so it's very important uh, for us as uh, a mobile industry uh, with the gen- generational shifts we're seeing, con- consumers and uh, enterprises using more and more uh, data, using more and more capacity on our networks. And what that means is that uh, more spectrum will be required for us to meet the growing customer demands.
1: Okay, so in that case, what are the kinds of spectrums that are being considered for five G now? You know, since you mentioned that now there are many sort of competing technologies already competing for the um finite spectrum that is available.
0: Yeah. Um, before I get into that, I just want to kind of go back in time a bit. In the past, in particularly in the two G and three G times, uh, often we say that particular band of spectrum will be for 2G, that particular band of spectrum will be for 3G. And what we have been doing as an industry as a whole in the past, in particular 10, 15 years, is to, one, to make spectrum use technology neutral. So we are uh, making technology more and more suitable to be used in all of the bands that we currently have as mobile industry, making possibilities even greater for us to meet the customer demands. And also we are standardizing um, the spectrum allocations as well. So is the standards that, that we currently use. So now we're on 5G. Uh, I would say in the long term, all of the mobile bands that we currently have or are going to have will be used for 5G in a very similar way that we, uh, we uh, repurposed some of the 3G spectrum when we started 4G. And um, so in our minds, what 5G needs is actually a very uh, diverse per- portfolio of spectrum bands. So we need mostly three different aspects, the lower band, the mid band, and the higher band. In layman's terms, the reason that we need the combination of bands is because 5G use cases is very dynamic. Some, um, some application might need uh, very high uh, availability, which don't really care about the data speed, uh, some will say I need ultra high bandwidth, ultra high speed, uh, and al- ultra low latency. So the requirements are very diverse from requirements on coverage to requirements on capacity. And um, the physics with radio is that the lower the frequency, the further it goes. And the higher the frequency, uh, the shorter it goes. And the longer it goes, the lower the capacity. The shorter it goes, the higher capacity. So for 5G to be able to meet all of the demands that our consumers have, we need all the spectrum in lower, mid and higher bands. And uh, so in the long term, we might have to repurpose some of the spectrum that the industry currently have on uh, 3G or 4G to be 5G. And also I think uh, what we are looking at, at the moment for the ITU World Radio Conference is what kind of high bands in the millimetre wave that will actually secure as new additions to the spectrum portfolios the industry has so that we can actually deliver on the high throughput, high speed and low latency applications.
1: I see. So, um, you know, to my understanding, I understand that there is often this debate about uh, different markets and how they adopt different kinds of spectrum. Like there are some countries that are, you know, Pushing more for the lower and mid band spectrum, and there are like other countries like the US, which uh, are heavily pushing millimeter wave. So, is there, is there, is there one that's better than the other? Is lower or mid band better than higher? You know, higher frequencies. Is there like a very strong case for either one?
0: No, I think. Um, well, I I think in a way that all spectrum born is saying. It's really up to what kind of applications that you want to support on the, on the national level. For, for example, if you look at the U.S., the so U.S. started started off with the millimeter wave. Um, one of the reasons um, behind that is um, the fiber penetration in the U.S. is not really good. So apart from metropolis like New York or San Fran, um, fiber penetration in other parts of the U.S., that's very bad. Um, what that means is that a lot of people in you know, the rural or not so natural areas of the U.S. don't really have access to really high-speed broadband. Uh, what the U.S. decided to do with the mid-middle wave is to use it as a replacement or an alternative to fiber. So that's why you look at how the U.S. was rolling out 5G in the first phase, uh, I think starting last year, was actually uh, something called fixed, wa- fixed wireless access. So essentially what it does is that they use a millimeter wave as a wireless fiber link um, to the homes and then people can actually use that just as a home broadband but that's fixed wireless um that suits the situation in the us and then if you look back into china uh, china has had a massive program nationally to deploy fiber and the fiber penetration in china is actually very high so it's not really a problem for normal customers or even business to actually have access to fiber. So, the way we are looking at the 5G spectrum planning in China, that makes sense because um, um, for them, the first priority, at least at the moment, is actually to deploy 5G uh, to more people and to cover more places. And that's why I look at the Chinese planning. The first uh, spectrum that got assigned to industry was the C band. to 3.6 and the uh, 4.8 and and the 2.6. So those bands, uh, when you look at 5G deployments, they provide the best combination of capacity and speed and coverage. So it sits somewhere between low and high, so it provides kind of um, bits of both. So they do provide a good amount of coverage uh, for the networks, but also they provide a decent amount of speed and the bandwidth as well. And that fits uh, where China is now. And that's also when to look at in Europe. Uh, I think that's all in the rest of Asia. I think that's the same, same mentality that the government is looking at where the country is now in terms of the level of connectivity and where the gaps are. And they'll be looking at what might be the best way, at least in the first phase, uh, in terms of spectrum planning for 5G to fill that gap. Uh, so that 5G comes in and solves a real problem.
1: Mm. So it sounds like different countries have to sort of plan their spectrum differently based on already like the current conditions that they have versus what they're actually trying to achieve in rolling out 5G.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Uh, I see. So um, earlier you mentioned that um, GSMA, you guys are trying to push millimeter wave?
0: Yes, well, it's, uh, it's one of our key program this year in preparation for the World Radio Conference.
1: Sure. So why millimeter wave as opposed to, you know, trying to get get countries to sort of reallocate their spectrum for low and mid bands?
0: Yeah. So in the low and the mid bands, we already have some allocations. Of course, we're also looking at possibilities for the future for new additions into the low. And the mid bands, for example, US is already expanding into the 600 megahertz, uh, where the rest of the world is looking at that band as well. Um, so those bands, one of one of the issue with the mid and low bands is that the bandwidth are generally small. Uh, so, with the lower mid bands, you are typically looking at something around between 20 and 60, or up to 100 meg. Um, so. In one way, that it does provide good coverage for 5G, but it's not really heating the mark on speed and bandwidth and capacity. Um, and also, the reality is that low and bands bands at the moment are very, very uh, crowded with existing 2G, 3G, and 4G services. And, and with the current reliance from our customers on those services, we don't see that those services being switched off completely anytime soon, so that those spectrum could be repurposed. Some will, for example, um, countries like China, Australia, Singapore have already been planning to switch off 2G or are going to. Uh, so part of that repurposing work will free up some spectrum, but the majority of the low and mid bands at the moment, the ones we have, are very crowded, are in very high usage, and. Um, so we need to look for new spectrum. So what happened four years ago was that when we were at the World Reader Conference 2015, uh, one of the uh, work items at that conference was to decide what the conference in 2019 was going to do. So that was called the Future Agenda Item at 2015, which will decide the agenda for the 2019 conference. And the, the new agenda, we Secured at the time was to look at new mobile allocations and IMT identifications in 2019. And the bands we agreed on at the 2015 conference uh, was the bands between 24 gigahertz and the 86 gigahertz, which covers the most of the millimeter wave bands. And what happened after that in the ITU process, which is a UN specialized agency in charge of all of the telecommunications, is that Once we decide on the future agenda in 2015 or 2019, then we'll, with those candidate bands, then we perform four years of studies under the guidance of the ITU. So the studies will determine uh, coexistence, sharing, compatibility, cross-border coordination, various technical and regulatory conditions um, that we may or may not need for new spectrum to be identified for mobile and to make sure that they will work with all of the existing services that are currently in use. So that's kind of a background why we're talking about spectrum between 24 and eight eighty six in the scope of the WRC 19.
1: I see. So do people have differing opinions on this um, spectrum between 24 and 28 gigahertz? Because um, like you guys are, are advocating for it, right? Are there people who don't believe that this spectrum should be used?
0: Yeah, um, there are already some existing users in there who are very keen to protect their investment and their interest, which is fair enough. Um, So uh, we don't always see each other eye to eye. Um, We, as someone new in the band, trying to get new allocations and new identifications, of course, one of the challenges that we have is how we actually work with them to make sure we resolve our differences, in terms of how do we protect incumbent services, and how do we also at the same time make sure that there is still prospects and growth for us to use the band. Because one thing we don't want to do is to have access to a new band in a middle-middle way, but it turns out that in reality we can't really use the band in any sensible commercial way. Uh, so, and that is is actually one of the main debates in the last four years during what we call the study period between the two conferences, is to look at how it actually performs studies that make sense, that actually conforms to realities. And also, thirdly, is that to make sure it will be a win-win results, one, that will protect incumbents, because for us, we do care about them. We do want to make sure that we protect incumbents, whether you'll be sensing, whether it'll be weather forecasting, whether it be satellite services. We do want to make sure that their existing services are protected. But at the same time, we don't want that to be overly too much. Of course, you can always protect something in the worst case, which happens about uh, one in a hundred or one in a thousand. Uh, we think that's probably not the best way economically or even make sense. We want to make sure that protection is under a sensible way. Uh, So yeah, uh, we do have very different interests, uh, very different opinions about how those bands are used and and also how newcomers like mobile industry in those bands, how protection should be maintained and how do you actually coordinate with incumbent. Um we've done we've we've actually achieved a lot of pro- progress in the last four years during the study period, but I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done between now and end of November when countries actually sign up the amendments to the radio regulation at the end of the conference. So there's still a lot of work to do and and we are, along with our partners in the mobile industry, actually working very hard um, to to help them to prepare their positions to help them, to prepare their negotiations, to make sure at the conference during the four weeks, instead of trying to block each other between different services and different sectors, we actually can sit down and uh, work out a plan that works for all the stakeholders involved.
1: I see. So earlier you you, you, you kept mentioning that uh, there are incumbents already in this uh, sort of spectrum space. So these incumbents are mostly... Um, Satellites, like like companies that run satellites for weather, is that? Are these the incumbents that that you mean?
0: Yeah. So the main, so the main incumbent that is requesting protection is the space service. So you're talking about weather sensing, you're talking about satellite services. So yeah, it's mostly done.
1: So what are their concerns actually, with five G and mmWave? Why is it is it a debate even that? you know, that, that you guys should be sharing the spectrum?
0: Yeah, so satellite business is very different to mobile. So with a satellite service you build a satellite and then you launch it. It sits in orbit above the earth for twenty or years or thirty or years, there's no way you can service the satellite. Oh you can, but you'll be very expensive and very complicated. Um so satellite tends to have a very long Life cycle of the product, and um, once the system is up in the orbit, it's very hard to change. Unlike mobile services, which we build on land or sea, um, if we need an upgrade, we can just de- dispatch some people and, uh, or even upgrade the software over the year. Done. Uh, but with satellite, there we do recognize that there is a very long investment and product life cycle, and if you look at satellites are currently up in the air. Some were deployed maybe 15, 20 years ago. So the technology at the time may not be as advanced as they are now. So meaning that they are more sensible uh, to to other signals that emit from the Earth. And particularly for applications like the weather sensing because they're passive. Passive meaning they don't actually emit all the what they do is actually to read the radio radiation from the Earth. So they're very, very sensitive because they have to read things like the water vapors, which are very, very low uh, level of signals that can actually emits from from the Earth. So, what, so there is a real uh, reason for us to actually to coordinate, to make sure that new services from us do not cause interference. But I think the challenge that we are facing here is that um, the the system parameters, the system characteristics that they are putting forward for the studies are, are very extreme. So they are trying to get mobile industry to protect one in a thousand or one in a ten thousand chance of extreme pains uh, where or, whereas we, from a more practical perspective, we'll say under normal operating systems or under normal or sensible operating uh, conditions, what kind of protection parameters um, that needs to be provided if we do. Um, so, in the, in the past four years during the study period, we've actually had uh, many, many studies uh, from us, from the satellite industry, from space, but also from independent studies as well. All under the umbrella of the ITU. Uh, what we found uh, through those studies is that, uh, under reasonable regulatory and technical conditions, uh, the new mobile services, meaning the 5G services, will be able to coexist and not cause harmful interference to the existing uh, space services. And uh, I use the particular word "harmful" because uh, there's always going to be interference. So as long as you have a radio service, there's always going to be interference. Um, the way ITU does it is that when we look at coordination and protection of services, the key we're looking for is that what's the protection threshold? So on a which level the system is going to fail and what will be the reasonable protection to make sure there's no harmful interference to the systems. And that harmful level changes depending on the system that we look at and I think that's also a whole debate in the past few years we will go into the conference is that how do we find how do we define protection that makes sure there's no harmful interference in most cases if people say I want zero interference is physically impossible um, because that's just the way the world works um, so I think that will be a debate going forward into the count into the conference itself and I think that's uh, that's something that we're not really agreeing 100% with incumbent space. So, so because of the, the requirement level that they require for their peace of mind, we think is commercially not possible in the real world.
1: Mm. Okay, so the requirement that they want is that for interference to be 100% none, like no interference at all. And that's not possible?
0: Yeah, uh, essentially they want uh the absolute ultimate protection um that that is very very conservative. put it into uh put it this way for example uh if i say i want a fast car my way my uh my thinking of a fast car is probably a ford Mustang. to me that's a very fast car but someone else might say my version of the fast car is a ferrari then we have differences in terms of how we define files. I think that's also the problem that we're facing, is that how do we and how do the space service define protection? So we're saying, commercially, we can provide you this level of protection that allows 5G deployed to, to be deployed in an economic and commercially sensible way, and at the same time, we also make, make sure your system still works. Mm. Uh, space services say, there. No, 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 that's not good enough. We want a much stringent Conditions to for the complete peace of mind. So mm. I think that's the level of expectations that 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 we currently have.
1: Mm. So space agencies, does that mean they just don't want 5G to use mm wave at all?
0: Well, I think ideally, um, I wouldn't say at all, but uh, my my sense is that they want as little as possible. Uh, in the bands that they currently have, or near the bands that they currently
1: have. Mm. So, if, okay, and the problem with them, you know, the problem with say, the mobile industry not using mmWave, um, at all. Like, what what are the disadvantages to that? If 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 mobile, um, I mean, sorry, if five G can't make use of of something like mmWave.
0: Yeah. So, five G will still happen without millimeter wave. But, there's always a big but behind that is uh, without millimeter wave, people would not be able to enjoy the the full potential of 5G as we have described in the IMT 2020 specification. IMT 2020 is actually the official word for 5G in the ITU terminology. And what ITU does or will do is that in 2020, ITU will, will produce a full set of Specification taking into account all of the technical bits from this standardisation body called the 3GPP uh, to define what can actually be called a 5G. And the part of that is talking about uh, really high bandwidth, really high throughput, really high speed, really high, really low latency. Uh, but of course, uh, 5G will happen with mid band, with low band. But if we really want the full Potential 5G, the full set of 5G that was promised through the ITU framework and through all of the standardization pro- process and all of the commercial process, that the minimum wave is the is the only spectrum uh, band that we can see now uh, with the current level of technology to deliver the ultra high speed, ultra low latency part of the 5G region.
1: Hmm. Okay, so basically, without millimeter wave, you will not be able to deliver to reach that level of data uh, of transmission speeds and capacity. Essentially, it sounds like exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm Yes, and how would this really? How would this affect, you know, the economies or or countries who are trying to roll out five G if they're not able to achieve that kind of um, standards?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, if we are not able to achieve the full. 5G potential, and then what comes next naturally is that there's a huge opportunity cost. Um, for example, um, for consumer applications like VR or uh, autonomous driving, which need really low latency with a high throughput for some of the uh, for some of those applications, without the millimeter wave, the innovations and the application wouldn't be able to deliver what we want them to do. For enterprise, if you look at smart manufacturing, smart factories where uh, people can actually cut their fiber and replace those fiber with a millimeter wavelength. Without a millimeter wave, they wouldn't be able to do that. That's additional of our opportunity cost uh, in the lack of a millimeter wave. So of course we 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 are still going to have incremental economic and social gains with 5G in the mid bands like the C band and also in the future in the lower bands. But you will just be a portion of the total benefits that we are going to enjoy with the full potential of 5G completely uh, unleashed. So um, I, I would say now, as we've already witnessed, with 3G and 4G being a critical enabler for social and economic growth uh, prospects, that if we cannot... Uh, Unleash the full potential of 5G, I think that will be a dent in the future growth of the global economy and also to to the social growth of the society uh, uh, as a whole. And that is something actually we could have if we and the governments make the right decisions at the WRC, this year 2019, make sure the industry has the right millimeter wave, the right conditions for use so that 5G in the wave could be deployed in more places to cover more people and to cover more innovations. And that will, will help many countries to actually realize a much bigger growth in economy and a much bigger impact to society with 5G working at its maximum impact.
1: I see. So with WDRC 2019, really, what is the like what happens uh, uh at this conference like what gets decided do you decide which band specifically to use for 5G in millimeter wave
0: yes so yes so what happens at the conference is that the governments that are members of the ITU because it's a UN agency so it's essentially and um, the world's only intergovernmental UN agency in charge of telecommunications um at the conference they will uh, decide which band to be allocated to mobile and for IMT, which is the official terminology under the radio regulation for the spectrum that we use as mobile. So that will define which band specifically from frequency A to frequency B, these bands will be allocated either on a global basis or on a regional basis, or sometimes could be on the national, not national, but on a country by country basis. And on top of that, The ITU will also decide, or rather the countries within the ITU will vote to decide if there is a need for a regulatory or technical condition for coexistence with incumbent services. If there is a need, what those conditions will be. Um, And all of those combined will inform the international basis for spectrum planning because it is actually a treaty, com- it's a treaty conference, so all of the decisions made at the C is actually binding to all of the signatories to the treaty. And then what happens after that is that the, each individual country would then adapt and translate the decisions of the conference into their national regulatory framework. So for example, if we say we have the 26 gigahertz band uh, allocated and identified at the WRC as a new band for IMT and mobile countries who do not currently have the allocation in the national framework, then will adapt that new decision and, and put it into the existing national fri- framework. And then after that, it's in the national framework, then comes the national planning process, the licensing process, the trials and uh, uh, verification. And then the assignment to the industry, for the industry actually to use that particular piece of spectrum for deployment of technology. Mm.
1: So it's basically getting all the different countries to agree that, yes, we are going to use this particular band for 5G, and so it's kind of like standardizing across the world that everyone will use this part of high-frequency band for 5G.
0: Yes. The global, how, the global harmonization of the band is the ultimate goal that they want to have. Because because what harmonization on a global level does is to create economies of scale. and what economies of scale do is to bring more affordable equipment and more affordable devices to the market.
1: Uh, so that it means like if my 5G phone here works on this particular band, that if I fly to like the US, for example, that my phone will still work on their 5g network because we're using the same um, frequencies.
0: Exactly, exactly. And, and that's a very important point that underlying is our work for the DAW plus E as well. If you if you look back, uh, particularly in early 3G or days, um, that you look at U.S., Europe using two different systems, looking at GSM, uh, CDMA, um, phones don't really work. If you if you fly from the U.S. into Europe, chances are you have to change your phone, because your US phone wouldn't be able to work because of the different standards and different spectrum. So what the mobile industry has been doing in the last 15, 20 years is to harmonize all of the standards that we use, which is now all under 3 gpp and also to harmonize the spectrum that we use, which is now full under the IDU. So the more harmonized we are, the easier that the industry is able to produce equipment and handsets devices at a much greater scale and scale means more affordable more cheaper and more affordable and that has been one of the key enablers for mobile to be used because of ownership of a mobile device and the mobile service has reduced significantly in our years. partly because of that greater economies of scale that we've managed to create through the process of at the ITU and the 3 gpp that manufacturers no longer need to make phones specifically for the u.s and then specifically for europe and then specifically for china they just make one or two more models of phones and that work anywhere and consumers no matter where they buy their phone from they can carry their phone bought from the uk or from china and fly to anywhere or rather most of the world, and still be able to have roaming still be able to actually use the phone i think that that is actually another key point that I forgot to mention at the beginning um, of the importance and the criticality of the conference
1: I see so I'm quite curious because right now on the market there are already five g phones right like um in China, yes. I think there are several devices where five g which you know claim that they can rerun a five g network but if at this point of time there like um there hasn't been a decision reached on which bands of spectrum like countries will use. Uh, in terms of the higher frequency, then does that mean that these 5G phones might not work on these higher frequencies? Like, what's the, the, the situation at hand right now?
0: Uh, not really. Um, in the past four years, during the study period, um, we and an industry kind of have a pretty good idea of what is very hopeful at the conference, so, of course, the devil is in the details at the conference, so we don't know about that. But I think we, we, we have a pretty good idea of our main targets, uh, or, or rather what kind of bands we do want to achieve at the conference itself. Um, but if you look at the phones that currently have, for example, the phones that we have in China, uh, the bands that they use are already bands that we have. So look at the C-band, the 2.6, those, those bands are already bands that the mobile industry has deployed for 3G or 4G uh, or already been allocated and identified for mobile at the IDU so those bands we, we we are already be able to use it and we will be able to use it past DA, DA, DA plus in nineteen as well for the millimeter wave however uh, we're not entirely sure what bands will be identified or what kind of conditions there will be, um, so if you look at the current phones, it's actually a very, very small portion uh, of the phones available on the shelf that actually supports the minimum wave, at least not the minimum wave bands that are subject to decisions at the WRC 19.
1: The right. band
0: that you often see supported in phones now in the minimum wave band range is the 28 gigahertz. 28 gigahertz is very special because it's a band that count, countries like the US, the Koreans are pushing very strongly. They have been working with industry to create an ecosystem. And that's the band actually used in the US for the first wave of fixed wallets. They're, they're also using that for mobile phones now. 28 is actually not within scope for the WRC. So, and that band is already. Uh, at, Allocated to mobile, so mobile industry can use that band now. So that's so that's why you see some phones being branded as millimeter, millimeter wave compatible. I think mostly at this stage, they are talking about the 28 GHz bands. The phones that are being sold in the US and in Korea, whereas in the rest of the world, mostly in China, the, the phones that are, are supporting 5G in the mid and lower bands. So there will not be any compatibility problems going forward, uh, regardless of the decisions at the conference this year.
1: Okay. Sorry, just just to clarify, you said that in the US and in Korea, they're already using 28 gigahertz, right? That's the one that they're yes. using for millimeter wave. But for the conference, you're not discussing 28 gigahertz because that's already been decided. You're discussing 26 gigahertz. But uh, twenty um, is, that, is it 26? Am I right?
0: 26. Yes.
1: Okay. So in that case, um, why is it still necessary to to discuss like 26 gigahertz if 28 gigahertz is already approved for mobile use? Couldn't all countries just use 28 gigahertz for millimeter wave?
0: Um, Not really. Uh, Because 28, there are actually quite a lot of incumbents uh, in the band. Uh, for, For example, in China, 28 is actually not very possible, at least at this stage, because coordination with incumbents is very complex. And
1: by incumbents, Um, do you mean like the space agencies, uh, like you mentioned earlier, or like other users? space. Uh, Ah, okay, I see. Mm. Space. Mm.
0: Yeah, so different countries will have sometimes the same, but sometimes different incumbent national use. And uh, depending on what use that might be, the complexities of the coordination at the country level do vary from place to place. Going back in 2015, when we were discussing the agenda for 2019 and the bands to be studied, um, 28 gigahertz was actually in the proposal along with 26. 28 was removed from the 2019 agenda and the study scope was because space opposed quite strongly and then managed to remove the 28 from. The conference. So in the beginning, we actually wanted to study 26 and uh, 28 at the same time for the conference th- this year.
1: I see. So then wouldn't that cause compatibility issues, assuming 26 gigahertz gets, you know, agreed by everyone that, that they're going to use this for millimeter wave and countries like Korea and the U.S. are already on 28, then do mobile phones have to be optimized to cover both in order to work I- across across countries?
0: Yeah, so we actually had the original intent to have both 28 and 26 for the conference this year. Although 28 was ticked out of the conference, but at industry level, uh, working with the governments like the U.S. and Korea, what we did is that when our industry designed the equipment, designed the handsets, uh, we actually designed 28 and 26 at the same time. So the solutions that the industry is developing will actually support both 26 and 28 at the same time. And then that device will be able to use in all the countries, I see. Uh, either in both 28 and 26, or in either one of them, depending on what the national planning outcome was.
1: I see. So, um, you know, maybe you could give us an idea of what you know five G deployment looks like in the region right now. Um, apart from Korea using millimeter wave, have um, has any of the other countries sort of adopted that for five G rollouts?
0: Yeah. So, yeah. So, Korea is probably in Asia at least uh, the most deployed in terms of the millimeter wave band. Apart from that, there's not much uh, actual commercial deployment going on. Some country or region uh, has uh, assigned the minimum wage. For example, Hong Hong Kong SAR has allocated both 26 and 28 to the industry in Hong Kong earlier this year, and they just wrapped up the auction for the 3.5. But in terms of actual deployment, I think Korea is probably the only one uh, of... And significant scale. Uh, in terms of five G deployments, commercial deployments overall, I think Korea, Japan, Australia, and China—if I haven't missed anyone else—are probably the ones that are uh, most advanced uh, in the region in Asia. And China, in particular, uh, although the the official launch is kind of uh, not the first one compared to Australia or compared to Korea. But the scale that we're expecting is actually, uh, I think, is already the biggest in the world. Uh, We're talking about number of base stations in the tens of thousands um, throughout China this year. And that is a big number compared to the scale that we've seen in other places, including the U.S. Um, So, this year will be a very important year with uh, 5G in those pioneer markets. 2020 will be a year that a more greater scale of commercial networks will be made available in Asia and the rest of the world. And 5G is actually the first generation of technology that we have commercial handsets available on the shelf when the network launch.
1: Ah okay because this has never been a case before it was the network launches first and then people had make um devices to support that.
0: Exactly if you remember back in the 3G 4G days um when the networks were first launched the only way we could access the networks were from the data bundles you have to plug something into a laptop to get access <laughs> to the networks um the phones came maybe months or year later um that's also the power of harmonization and the power of economy of scale that we are now with experiences that we've gained throughout 3G and 4G, we are able to, as an industry, to actually kind of sync up the handsets and the networks. So when the network actually gets light up in a place that people actually can go straight, go straight to the shop and buy a phone and switch it on and be able to enjoy 5G.
1: Mm. Okay so my understanding right now is that mostly countries right now those who have rolled out um commercial networks some of them are using like China i believe is using um midband spectrum right now for their 5G rollout right and like in the US it's yes. mostly millimeter wave but ultimately all of these countries will have to adopt like a mixture of frequencies in order to fully reach the potential of 5G Exactly uh,
0: and and i think i could stress more about that point is that 5G is a a very inclusive set of technologies. Um, It's more than just a G, about 4G, it's not just a G getting added to it. Um, To be able to respond to the dynamic and the demanding requests from our customers, retail or enterprise, I think for the government to realize that 5G is not just about the millimeter wave, although it's important. Um, at the conference this year, I five in the future, if we need to unleash the full potential, we need the bands in all three ranges, low, mid, and high, so that the varying degrees of applications and the requirements could all be met.
1: Great, thank you so much, Joe. I really the appreciate works. it. This cool. has been a very interesting conversation.
0: Oh, thank you. I'm always happy to uh, <laughs> talk about it. It's um, it's something that uh, the general public probably don't appreciate. Uh, but, but um, it does impact how they use 5G and the mobile services. So uh, I, I think for the general public and also for the government, it's actually quite a critical uh, issue that we all have to face. All
1: right, so that's all we've got today. If you enjoyed this episode or have any questions about tech in China, do let us know. You can find me on Twitter at Zensu And if you want to read more stories about China tech, do head on to scmp.com slash tech.